0: How do you see that in the future, Buddha's spirit? I don't
1: think I can see the future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I have a faith about it.
0: Good day. You're listening to European Buddha. Dear listeners... This morning, I'm connecting from summerish Helsinki. I'd like to give our deepest gratitude for you for tuning into our podcast once again. It is you who make the European Buddha alive. Also, big humble bow to our amazing guests. We have both smiled, shed a tear, laughed, and smiled a bit more on this journey, together connected. I'm sure today won't be an exception. So far, we have shined light on the topic of impermanence death and dying and meditation today we go so to say to the roots who is buddha what was his message and are we making it real in everyday life so hi martin how are you doing and would you introduce our guest
2: thank you i'm quite fine yeah on this day we Warmly welcome David Brazier. David uh, discovered Buddhism in the 1960s and followed it since then as a spiritual guide for his life. He practiced Zen and explored Tibetan and Vietnamese Buddhism and become widely known in Europe and North America as a writer, as a Buddhist teacher and a practicing psychotherapist. Being a child of the 60s, I would say, he's also famous for being a social activist, making significant contributions in socially engaged Buddhism. So, warmly welcome, David Brazier.
1: Nice to be with you.
2: The last times we asked our guests to share practice ex- exercise or a contemplation. So, David, I would like to ask you if you have some inspiration in this regard for us.
1: Uh, the style of Buddhism that I practice, uh, usually called Land Buddhism or Amida Buddhism, focused on a, a devotional practice. So this this includes a good deal of uh, chanting, a certain amount of ritual, and, and so on. So if you want an example of uh, practice in this sense, uh, I could do a small amount of Nembutsu chanting, you. Namo Namo Namo.
0: was so beautiful could continue all day listening to that beautiful <laughs> chanting it really very deep beautiful david how did you encounter buddhism in the first place and what inspires you to practice
1: i first encountered buddhism when i was a teenager which is a long time ago now <laughs> and uh initially just through reading. And then uh, when I was, um, I suppose, about uh, in my early 20s, I was living in Cambridge. And around this time, uh, meditation became very popular uh, in Britain because the Beatles had just discovered the Maharuchi. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, meditation <laughs> had stopped being an obscure navel-gazing thing that English people would have never been seen dead doing. And it had suddenly become all the rage and was in the Sunday supplements and everybody was doing it. And I was in Cambridge, and Cambridge being what it is, um There was a a Buddhist society there which was able to invite visiting teachers from overseas. And I was spoiled, if you like, by having a whole succession of teachers from different schools of Buddhism. Every week we had a lecture from a different teacher. Uh, We also had some resident people teaching meditation, uh, teaching different approaches and uh, that was my, that was me. I, I was sort of thrown into the deep end of the swimming pool, you might say, and um, whereas nowadays probably somebody goes to a Buddhist center and they learn one form of Buddhism or one practice and they think this is it, uh, I had this sort of multiple impact experience <laughs> of uh, many teachers from many different traditions.
2: Um, When we talk about Buddhism, um, it seems to be an ism um, inspired by someone called the Buddha. Who
1: was this guy? (laughs) Well, you can think about the Buddha in uh, in different ways and at different levels And, and in Buddhist tradition. Uh, especially far eastern buddhist tradition uh, we really think about three levels so there's uh, what you might call a sort of practical historical levels the buddha was a man called siddhartha Gautama who was born at a certain time uh, taught practiced had disciples started a movement organized it and that has continued through history then there is uh, uh, what you might call them um, a sort of absolute level that uh, the buddha is an eternal presence a spiritual source uh, something that transcends the practical that goes beyond the ordinary life beyond time and then there's a sort of intermediate level in sanskrit called sambhogakaya uh, which is the the manifestation Or if you like, it's the bridge between these these two levels. Uh, So the Buddha may appear in dreams or visions or in uh, various forms of intuitive inspiration in one's life. And much of uh, Far Eastern Buddhism really centers upon this intermediate level. And and so this is represented in much iconography. You have uh, many bodhisattvas, uh, many images, many ways of animating the spiritual life, shall we say, uh, which provides a bridge between the ultimate and the mundane, the, the, the uh, transcendent and the everyday. And this is where, religion happens if you like is in in this intermediate zone
0: uh, about the buddha and his life we can these days read stories and he's encountering with so many so many beings and 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 one of my favorite is angulimala the man who had the <laughs> uh, fingers on his
1: like uh, on his mala
0: Yes, on his mala, Angulimala, that's right, uh, the math murderer. And, and I think it's so kind of great example of how we all can change, and, and that was maybe kind of the beginning of chaplaincy work. Do you have some kind of favorite story from Buddha that has inspired you?
1: Well, that, that would certainly be one of them, um, the Angulimala story. And here you see the, the Buddha... Um, going to see Angulimala. And you can say it it illustrates a kind of fearlessness. And where does that fearlessness come from? If if you have just a sense of this world and, and this life, you'd be terrified. But the Buddha had a sense that transcended just this life. So he was able to go and see Angulimala, there was every possibility Angulimala would kill him. But if you have no fear of death, you can do that sort of thing. If I talk to my Japanese Buddhist friends, they will say that's what it's all about. Yes. Uh, the, you know, the great moment, they will say, which, by which they mean the moment of death. So, so the, the Buddhism is in that sense... Uh, dying before you die if you like uh, freeing yourself another another story that i like is um, uh, the story of um, the mad woman patakara and patakara eventually became a great teacher in in the um, in the Songha. One day the Buddha was teaching in in a village and and this this mad woman came along screaming and people tried to shoo her away. You know, we're we're trying to listen to the Buddha and and, and you keep making a noise, go away. But the Buddha uh, said, no, hold on, I I need to talk to her. And he encountered her and uh, she had um, lost the whole of her family, her parents, her husband and both her children in the course of a week, through separate incidents. And she'd gone mad. And uh, the, the Buddha um, encountered her, and there must have been something about his presence that enabled her to um, spill the beans and tell her story and, and so on. And one of the things that I think is interesting here is is that he doesn't reassure her. Uh, if anything, he says, well, situation's worse than you think. And he, and he confronts her with the, the sort of existential situation of being human in this world. Everything ends, everything is impermanent, and so on. The tears that have been cried are like an ocean. There's great sort of robustness about this, this teacher. <laughs> yeah. he, he's able to um, confront situations uh, without fear or favor, we might say, very directly. And this got through to her and uh, she was plunged into grief, which went on for several years. But at the end of that, she came out and became a teacher herself, much better than being in the state she'd been in before, where, where she was trying to escape from the horror of what had happened to her by becoming insane.
2: This morning, I uh, looked at a little Buddha statue. And I was really contemplating, what does it mean? What kind of gesture is this? And everybody in the world knows this Buddha posture. Um, there are even uh, chubby Buddhas, uh, laughing Buddhas. And, but it all comes to this gesture of just sitting. I was really thinking, well, this is a wonderful message that you are fine when you do nothing. But it's not about doing nothing. Um, and in your book, The New Buddhism, you actually stated it's about a living engagement with the world. So what would you say to combine these two?
1: Yes, I, I, I know a number of people whose, whose entry into Buddhism has been in exactly that way of, of seeing the statue and um, being touched in some way. By by this um, embodiment of tranquility, shall we say. And often, the statue that you actually see of the Buddha seated uh, in the lotus position, he has one one hand touching the ground. Uh, This is the statue of the Buddha at the moment of enlightenment, uh, when he calls the the earth goddess, the earth mother, to witness uh, what he has. Understood. So there is a sort of grounding, if you like, <laughs> in a most literal sense, uh, at, this, at this moment of his awakening. And when we look at the Buddha's life, you, you can see that up to that point, uh, he has been immersed in trying to solve his own problem. Uh, initially through self-indulgence and, and so on, and then through asceticism, and uh, but all of it centered on solving his own problem. After that point, he's no longer concerned about his own problem. He, he's uh, turned around 180 degrees. His whole life is dedicated to others. Uh, from then on, uh, he's never alone. Or rarely, uh, he spends nearly all his time engaged with other people, and and all of the um, all of the sutras that we have, and and there are many, 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 are for the most part about his engagements with others. How on earth is he able to do this without? We might say, with our modern view, why didn't he get burnout? You know, forty-five years he is. <laughs> Good question. (laughs) He's carrying (laughs) on like this. And and it appears by the end of his life, when we get to the Parinibbana Sutta, which is about the last three years of his life, he's even more vigorous than he's ever been. (laughs) He's (laughs) still, even though he's probably suffering from arthritis and goodness knows what, he's still going from place to place, enthusing people and uh, pouring it out. As it were, so so there's a, a great um, there's some source of spirit in in his life. You know, there's something flowing through him. It's it's not just by his own effort, as it were, that he does this. There's a certain empowerment here, and uh, it, it's the so in a certain sense, the Buddha is channeling a power into this world, uh, which manifests as wise compassion and uh, so in actual fact although we have these many inspiring statues of the buddha sitting there most of his time he was on his feet (laughs) going from place to place we don't enter into buddhism as 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 a way of uh, backing up a socio-political agenda But nonetheless, being a Buddhist impels one into an engagement with the world.
0: Do you think we have understood Buddha's message or is there something missing or like how could we make his message more clear and engaged in the world?
1: Well, (laughs) we as modern Western people uh, are very concerned with engagement in the world. But a lot of Buddhism is about something beyond this world. It's being in relation to what is beyond this world that gives one a certain outlook and empowers a certain way of engaging. But it comes that way round. Whereas the Westerner starts from engagement and that's the central focus. But uh, religions are not really like that. Religions come, as it were, from the other side into this world. And so I think we have, as Westerners, so far, uh, very largely um, stripped Buddhism down to what we can cope with in our Western, secular, materialistic outlook. Very obvious example at the moment is is the fashion for mindfulness. Mindfulness in the original Buddhist sense is to have one's mind full of that inspiration. What we've done with it is to strip it down to a kind of attentional exercise, an exercise of being in this moment. Whereas in the original sense, mindfulness was about having a richness in your mind, in your heart, which didn't keep you in the present moment. It kept you in relation to eternity.
2: But didn't the Buddha talk about impermanence?
1: The Buddha did talk about impermanence. He talked about how all these mundane, secular, ordinary, historical things are impermanent and therefore not to be relied upon, and not to be made the centre of one's attention, and not to be made one's highest priority. Uh, One enters into that in a spirit of compassion, because impermanence brings suffering, and with a wisdom that sees that these things are impermanent, and you can't rely on them entirely. Uh, relationships change, people die, you build projects, they come to an end. Uh, you, However much you try to uh, achieve things in the ordinary material world, there's always some limit to it. But the Buddha is also not just concerned with that. It's not just a higher form of humanism or a more practical form of Um, achievement of worldly results it's a sense of an infinity of worlds uh, of many possibilities that go beyond this every day so in that sense buddhism very much uh, a religion a religious inspiration that may well have uh, great um, in this world consequences. It has built whole civilizations. It's inspired art, poetry, uh, humanitarian work, and so on. But one shouldn't think that that is the entirety of what it consists of. Uh, If one thinks so, it's like thinking you can have the leaves and the fruit of a tree without having any root.
0: How do you see that in the future, Buddha's spirit? I don't
1: think I can see the future. I have a faith about it. Good things lead to good consequences. Good action leads to good results. Um, maybe not immediately. Uh, maybe not so Obviously. And, and certainly not through us planning to reach such and such a goal and working out how to get there. That, doesn't, that often doesn't work at all. Two years ago, we were all planning various things that have now gone completely out the window because along comes the pandemic and upsets it all. Uh, this is how the world is. But nonetheless, if you act in the right spirit, uh, you can trust that that isn't lost in one way or another. It, it works out. Uh, karma is inexorable, and um, things have consequences. So I have faith that if you act in the right spirit, it will uh, it'll work out in, in good ways in the world. But what those good ways are, in concrete terms, remains to be seen. I, I couldn't tell you.
2: I was wondering, since this uh, podcast is called European Buddha, Uh, What comes into your mind when you hear this term?
1: I I suppose in the world that we've got, Europe is kind of midway between America (laughs) (laughs) and the East, (laughs) and not just um, geographically. I do worry that um, Buddhism in the West Um, has imported over much of american culture and american priorities it may be i don't know if it will be but it may be that uh, europe can act as some kind of um, middle way to use a good buddhist phrase Between the way that uh, Buddhism has evolved in Asia and the way it is being reinterpreted and repackaged and represented uh, in North America. So I don't know if this will eventuate, but it's a possibility. So that's what comes to my mind.
0: Uh, I think it would be great to have you another time as a guest because I think we have zillions of questions and uh, we know that with your knowledge it would be so amazing to go deeper into those. For this episode, I think we're quite happy and we were really honored to have you with us and, and thank you so much.
2: If you recall our conversation, do you have a last message to our audience um, who might be inspired to get into Buddhism?
1: (laughs) A message to those who might be inspired to get into Buddhism? Ah, Well, I suppose I would say, let love and compassion into your heart. And be willing to be joyful. But know that sometimes you'll have to be equanimous because Things are impermanent. They don't always work out the way you expect.